Hello, friends, and welcome to the inaugural episode of So Poetry, the Poetry Conversation Podcast. Um, I am your host and interviewer, or I guess the conversationalist, Michael Zuloff. Um, that was my phone vibrating. I should probably put that on silent, which I'm going to do right now. Um, but anyway, um, I'm coming to you recorded live from the den of my apartment in Baltimore. Uh, so there's a very good chance that you're going to hear my phone, although hopefully not since I just put it on silent. Um, you might hear the air conditioner kick on. Uh, you might hear the soft jingling of my roommate's cat's collar. And if the microphone is sensitive enough to pick this up, maybe some cars passing outside. Um, this would probably be the part of the podcast that I would introduce my guests and um, I don't know, start bantering with them a little bit, but this episode is going to be a little bit different, um, primarily because I don't have a guest. It's just going to be me for the next, oh, I don't know, maybe hour? I'm going to shoot for an hour-ish long episode, um, just so there's enough time to talk about all the things we want to talk about regarding poetry. Um, I'm also saying um a lot, which I'll try to not be so aware of, or at least stop doing. Anyway, I, yeah, like I said, there's no guests tonight. It's just going to be me. I say tonight because it is almost 10 o'clock while I'm recording this. Um, yeah, so I would like this, this episode to be kind of an introduction to the podcast, uh, to say a little bit about myself, kind of my goals for what I would like to do with the, the podcast. Um, a bit about my own relationship and process with poetry. And um, I actually wrote up kind of a list of questions that I'm hoping I won't have to resort to during the conversations. But in case, um, I can have some kind of backup stuff. So I will roll through some of those probably later on in the episode. So um, first, quick introduction of, for myself. As I said, my name is Michael. Um, it's M-Y-C-H-A-E-L, in case anybody wants to write any comments or refer to me by name. Um, I am a writer. I write primarily poetry, although I'm beginning to dabble a little bit with some short stories, which are weird kind of science fiction-y short stories. I'm a musician. I have my own band. There's a good chance that you're listening to this podcast on my SoundCloud uh, and there are some other songs of mine that are up there. So if you're so inclined, feel free to listen. I think most of them are up for download too. So feel free to download them as well. Um, I am a book artist. I also, I've founded and I'm currently the, I guess, the sole person of Akinoga Press. Um, I make small, uh, small edition handmade chapbooks. I published my MFA thesis through it. I published a chapbook um, by my good, well, by my friend, good friend, good poet, uh, Lise Richmond, um, Blue Mornings, awesome, awesome chapbook. I'm currently working on a chapbook uh, with my friend, also good friend, good poet, Anthony Mall. Uh, I have the layout done-ish. Um, I have the cover done-ish too. I'm hoping to have it released before I 
leave for two weeks in October for a residency in Nebraska. Uh, let's see what else. Um, this November will mark my two-year anniversary of taking aerial at the Mobtown Ballroom. So I guess I'm an amateur aerialist. Um, there will be probably another student showcase in the spring, which I'll do my best to sign up for and do. So if anybody is in Baltimore, maybe April, May-ish, I'll be in a show doing crazy things on silks, like 20 feet up in the air, maybe. Uh, let's see what else. Um, I was born in New Orleans. Somehow lived there for... 20-ish years and never picked up the accent. I say things like a New Orleanian, I just don't, um, I say terms. I use certain language that a New Orleanians would use, but I just don't pronounce it the way that they would. Um, yeah, I grew up, lived in the same house for 20-ish years, um, did a semester at UNO, jumped ship to ULL in Lafayette, Graduated from there in 2011, moved up to Baltimore for uh, grad school at UB in 2011. Um, graduated from UB in 2014 with a master's in creative writing and publishing arts. So yeah, I'm looking at almost two years out of the program. Um, it's, been, it's been a pretty good run so far. Um, I will get into more of my, I guess, kind of backstory, at least regarding poetry, later on in the episode. So for now, I guess I'll move on to kind of my goals for this podcast. Primary and possibly sole goal of this podcast is to talk to as many people as I can about poetry. Um, full disclosure, the first handful, maybe year or two of guests will be people that I know, um, will be just friends and writers that I have in Baltimore, um, that I know and have in Baltimore. Uh, but they are really interesting and insightful people, I promise. So it should be for good comfort. It should make for some good conversation. Um, I would like to talk to, I'm very interested in talking to poets. Um, because I have, I feel like I have a pretty good sense, or I'm beginning to have a good sense of how I've developed in my writing um, and what my process is and like what's happened with my voice and the influences and the changes that it's undergone. Um, but I don't think that I've ever actually sat down and asked other poets that question. Um, and I don't know if other poets have thought about it or have gotten to that point themselves. So I'd like to give, just to have a platform that they can talk about this stuff. Um, and I usually have conversations like this, I mean, not necessarily with like the poetry process, um, but just like involving or regarding poetry and art and stuff like that um, at bars or coffee shops or out on walks. And I don't know, I think that there is a value in preserving and also um, kind of broadcasting some of those conversations. Because I think that there's probably some, some writers that are out there that are 
maybe struggling, maybe just kind of working through stuff, maybe don't have a direction, and hearing somebody talk about how they write and if it matches up to how this other person writes, then maybe that will give them some insight or give them a path through some writing or you know, maybe a new person to write to get some in, to read to get some inspiration. Um, but I would also like to talk to a bunch of other people about poetry. Um, I know a lot of other writers in Baltimore, and I would really, really love to talk to people who don't write poetry about poetry just to get their take on it, because I'm being in, um, we're going directly from undergrad to grad school and graduating with a, a bachelor's in English with a concentration in creative writing and a minor in film studies and moving directly on to a, a graduate school program in creative writing. I've been surrounded by a lot of writers. Um, I've been also surrounded by primarily a lot of poets because that's what my concentration is and the people who I've really tried to, to understand and to show my work because they're people that, whose opinions I trust and whose insights I trust. Um, so I've been around poets a lot. And I kind of know what some poets think about poetry. And I know kind of what some writers think about poetry. But I'm really, I am interested in hearing what like a fiction writer has to think about poetry. One of my friends who I would like to get on um, pretty soon for an episode um, told me recently that she just kind of started getting into reading poetry, and I'm super, super, super excited to talk to her about it um, because it's been such a long time since I first started reading poetry, and I'm, I wasn't aware or mindful enough to um, keep track of what my reactions were. I also don't think that I had the, the expansive enough vocabulary to, to really talk about what I was experiencing. Just because when I started reading poetry, I was in ooh, like high school. So I didn't have a, the extensive vocabulary to really talk about much back then. Um, I'm really interested to talk to other creative types, other artists, you know, like um, visual artists or musicians um, or like dancers, um, any sort of the physical kinesthetic arts, um, people who are creative but don't necessarily um, tap into like the arts so much. Like I have uh, a friend who loves reading poetry um, and she is a um, psychology grad student, which in and of itself is its own uh, creative challenges. And um, but I I'm interested to see, and I know I've been saying that a lot, but I am just generally interested to see like what her relationship is with poetry. Um, and I know that it's going to be probably different than what mine is because I approach it as really kind of like guide markers and pathways and sort of like road signs to see if you know if, if what I'm working on right now is something that somebody else has done or if you know to see that people have kind of blazed certain paths so you know why am I afraid of writing something in a particular way I, I 
often joke with my friends that I um I read Bukowski's poetry like other people take shots of whiskey for courage. Um because he really doesn't care what people think about him him or his writing. And that's a really freeing thing when I'm stuck or too much in my own head or thinking too much about does this line up with my voice or does this line up with some of the the thematic or the aesthetic things that I've established and you know take out uh the oh what books do I have I'm actually looking at it right now it's uh sitting oh sifting through the madness for the word the line and the way and there's some really I have mixed opinions on Bukowski as a, as a person but some of the poems in there are just astounding and it's nice to kind of thrum through it and see that he's he just kind of does what he wants and that's kind of encouraging to see that you know he just wrote because he wanted to write um you know he he was really kind of doing it for himself and that's you know when it really kind of comes down to it that's why I write it's something that I kind of need to do and I'm not really doing it for anybody else um, hold on a sec. My roommate's cat is currently playing with some things that she does not need to be playing with. Anyway, yeah, so, um, I would also really love to talk to people who don't really have any exposure to poetry and, you know, see why not, or to, to maybe break them into, um, the world of it. And, the like, I've had some conversations with my dad who... Um, he's an engineer, he's an electrical engineer, and not to say that this is a stereotypical thing, but he, like, he thinks differently than I do. He approaches things in a much different manner than I do. Um, and I've, I've shared with him some of my poems, and he will ask me certain things, like, you know, why do I, did I use this particular word? What does this stanza mean? Um, you know, just asking me things about my writing that I probably wouldn't have thought to ask myself because it's so much like a second nature to me now that I've been doing this for such a long time that it's really super internal and it's kind of intuitive and I know that I make certain choices in rhythm or like using certain words to get certain tonal colors or certain rhythms that I'm it's not a conscious thing it's just for whatever reason, this word seems to work the best, and I throw it in there, and it, you know, I can, upon maybe some um, reflection or reading it again, I can see like, oh yeah, I was actually this was all this kind of is cohesive. But he has admitted to me um, that he doesn't get a whole lot of poetry, or kind of he doesn't really understand it, and I have had some really um, insightful and relevatory for at least for myself talks to him about poetry in general and you know specifically with my own um that you know i i hope we're enlightening him for him too and that's kind of one of the other um goals i guess for this podcast is to maybe reach some people that have never really given poetry a chance or have tried to give poetry a chance and it just doesn't make sense to them um like they don't really have a way into it or they don't um they can't get that that first solid footing to understanding what you know what's this really about um 
So, like I said, I'm hoping that this podcast might be an avenue in for some people. For some people, um, hopefully, if I talk to anybody who's never really approached poetry or has maybe a contemptuous, contemptuous relationship with it, um, <coughs> sorry about that. Um, yeah, if they have kind of a rough relationship with poetry, then maybe this will be uh, a solve or can ameliorate it a little bit. Um, yeah, so that's essentially I just want to talk to as many people as I can. Anybody who would be willing to sit down with me for like an hour or so and just talk about poetry, which might be painful for some people, but I'm hoping that I there's enough people out there that I can keep this podcast going for a long, long time. Um, a note on, I guess, kind of the production side of things. I'm sure that you've noticed by now that this is not the most polished um, podcast that you've probably heard. Um, I don't have a script. As much of a script that I have kind of formulated in my head has been maybe like three or four times while I'm in the shower thinking about what it is that I want to say. And I can assure you that I've well exhausted all of those things and have forgotten probably most of them. Um, so this is just me kind of talking right now. Um, and I know that through conversations with friends, um, I can have a tendency to ramble and to be kind of tang tangential, so I will do my absolute best to rein some of those tendencies in, because I know that I can be kind of hard to follow sometimes. Um, but that being said, um, I do really want this to be kind of a spontaneous podcast, really like a conversation. Um, maybe interview-ish at some points if the conversation reaches a lull or, you know, God forbid, we run out of things to talk about poetry about. Yeah. Um, so I am going to do my best to not, um, to not edit my podcast. I really want it to be just I, I hook up a microphone to my laptop, just hit record, and we just go. And whatever happens just kind of happens. Because um, I think that there's... I don't know. I think there's something worth preserving the kind of spontaneity and the 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 life and the the fire of of live things. Some of my favorite recordings um, are like really early band demos where it sounds like they just put a tape recorder in the middle of the room, just hit record, and just went for it. Because there's so much. I don't know. I feel like the musicians in, in those circumstances put so much of themselves in their music, and I really. I don't know if I'm going to be successful with this or not, but I would really like to try to emulate that with this podcast that I, you know, I'm, these things, these episodes are really, um, I don't know, like little captures and little, little snapshots of moments. Um, currently the moment that I'm having alone in my apartment with my roommate's cat and a microphone sitting like six inches away from my face. Um, but eventually, you know, with the next episode, um, you know, moment of like a, a neat conversation with me and a good friend of mine. Um, yeah, so, I mean, they will probably become a little more streamlined and a little more not so pause filled as we go on, I'm hoping. Um, I usually get uh, 
not necessarily performance anxiety. There's I've actually read a, a this is a, will be a small tangent, I swear, and will hopefully be one of the only ones. Um, back when I was thinking about the handfuls of times that I've been thinking that I've thought about uh, going back to school for music, um, I was doing some research on like the best ways to um, do kind of like an audition tape, and. I, I think I was on a forum somewhere that um, there are people who get um, performance anxiety, like stage fright, where the act of being in front of other people causes you anxiety. And then, so that's one group of people. And there's another group of people who get recording anxiety. So if you were to take that person, the one who gets recording anxiety, and put them in front of like three judges in a live kind of audition setup, they would be fine. They can knock it out of the park. You stick a microphone or a video camera in front of them, and that's when they get the anxiety. And there are some times when I've recorded some songs um, that I'll have moments of anxiety while I'm recording. Um, I very rarely played live, and the times that I have, there'll be kind of the, the times that I've acted a little bit. There'll be kind of right at the beginning that little... The, the fluttering and the kind of dropping of the stomach, and then when I kind of get into it, my um, world and my focus kind of collapses on just what I'm doing, which might make me not the most captivating performer, but I I mean, I will try to work on that if my music career takes off anywhere. Um, so, any, so all that to be say that... Um, all of the, the hiccups or the kind of flubs of the things that I say or the pauses and the ums is not really coming from a place of anxiety. I actually feel pretty calm right now. I'm not really sure why. Um, I don't know if that helps my case at all or not, that these things aren't, aren't the product of recording anxiety, but whatever. And I just looked at the timer and I've been talking for like 23 minutes straight. Um, 22 and some change but anyway yeah so that's all of that stuff before was kind of the the goal of the podcast um to reiterate reiterate i want to talk to people about poetry it's kind of really all i want to do and i'll get into well, i guess that now would be the would be the best time as any um related to my um, my poetic process, or I guess my poetic development, um, a great deal of it has happened in relative isolation. Um, I've worked a lot on developing my style and my voice really kind of by myself. I mean, I've, I've been in classes and I've had edits from other people, but a lot of the work has been me just kind of writing and reading authors or reading other poets and seeing what in their writing kind of shimmers for me. Um, there's actually a shelf on um, one of my three bookshelves that are um, poets that have profoundly affected me that I, for some reason, I seem to gravitate towards them. And for some poets, I've kind of figured out... Sorry, I have the burps. Um, for some poems, I'm poets, I've figured out kind of why I've, I'm attracted to them. Um, like Mary Oliver was um, the first poet that I read for my own edification. 
up up until that point, I was reading lots of um, lots of poets and lots of poems and lots of anthologies and stuff for some of my classes, but I never really picked up a poetry book just for the hell of it. And I think I was in a Barnes and Noble and I saw Redbird by Mary Oliver, and there's something about the cover and that I just I I wanted it in my hands, and I thumbed through it a little bit, and it just it knocked me out. So she was really kind of the first, um, I don't know, like pinball bumper that knocked me in a particular trajectory. Um, since then, like Tom Hinnon, um, Jane Hirschfield, uh, Lee Young Lee have all, I mean, Charles Wright have all kind of shaped me. Steve Tanley did a lot with his book, uh, night book to help me kind of work through some some of the night things that I was dealing with. Um, I recently discovered the poet Jane Cooper, who is absolutely phenomenal, and I cannot believe that I never found her before I did. Um, I got into haiku, kind of, kind of randomly. I had a, a haiku collection that I just picked up, and I had it for years, but I never read it. And then there was in one of my classes. Um, the instructor told me that my poems were not super grounded. They were more abstract, and there wasn't any kind of concreteness to, to pin them anywhere. And I, I got that feedback and that critique a lot from some of the other my other classmates and my other friends. And he suggested um, that I read Bay Dow's um, Notes from the City of the Sun. I think it's, Yeah, I think it's Notes from the City of the Sun or the cities of the sun, whatever. Actually, I'm going to look it up online right now because I am i don't want to get this wrong. Yep. So it's, uh, the name of the poem is Notes from the City of the Sun, and it's found in his collection, The Rose of Time. Um, which I think is a kind of a compilation anthology that has some poems from some of his earlier his earlier collections and some new ones, and I think that this is one of the new ones. But reading it, it he does a lot of work that in the poem itself is as a kind of piecewise poem, and it, each little section does a lot of work that a haiku does, and reading that kind of started me on the trajectory of haiku and um well like I started reading that and I was like wow he really condenses and he really draws out the essence of what it is that he's talking about and I was I had been doing some kind of research at the time into um some Japanese art aesthetics and some um like zen aesthetics and how how Buddhism and Zen have kind of has kind of infiltrated itself and situated itself on a lot of the, the Japanese artwork um, and kind of general philosophy. And I was doing I had done some research on haiku and yeah you know, I mean research being kind of reading the Wikipedia page and some other stuff which has a lot of good information. Um, but I was trying to figure out um, sources that I could draw from to to really hone in the concrete image or the, the concreteness and the tangibleness of my poems. So I started reading Bay Dow and I finally cracked open the haiku anthology that I had for maybe like three or four years 
up to that point. And Haiku more than Beidou, although Beidou did do some, some significant change, but they both really fundamentally changed the way that I saw writing and the way that I saw my writing. Um, and I really am indebted to Aishin. Aishin Hutchinson, Hutchinson, I think, is his last name. Um, he's married to Valgina Mort. Um, he taught briefly at UB, but like he, if it was not for him, it probably would have taken me a lot longer to find haiku, and I'm super glad that I found it when I did because I think it was, it was the absolute right time for me to start reading that style of poetry and start thinking about poetry on, on those terms. But um, so all of this is is essentially to say that I've done all of uh, most of my development has happened kind of like this. Like I'll be writing. Somebody will tell me something, and I find just other poets that kind of fit that bill, and I try to learn from them. Or as Basho said in one of his letters to his students, um, to not follow the old masters, or to not follow the masters, but to seek what they sought. Um, because if you're seeking the things that they're seeking, you will find it in your own way, and you can use their, you can use them as references. To, to figure out, you know, what it, what were they striving for and what were they working towards? And if you work towards those things too, you might wind up in the same family as the, the people that you're using as reference, but you will have gotten there kind of your own, you would have made your own path there, which is um, much more rewarding and I think much more important than to follow somebody else, what somebody else did because you're being authentic and you know, you are you're really drawing out your own way of seeing and doing and writing. Um, so it took a while, but um, I kind of figured out where my voice was situated, and I also figured out that it is, at least my writing voice is relatively small and relatively quiet, which I think, in general, just kind of necessitated the fact that I really needed to do this and relative isolation um, because that voice is really, really easily overshadowed by other poetic voices. Um, not because the other poetic voices are shouting, just because they're generally just a little more loud than mine or a little bigger. Um, so up until about, uh, I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago, um, I was doing a lot of this development on my own and I finally kind of like found or could hold my voice, kind of the way that if you're listening to um, you're listening to a song and you can hear the bass in it, and you can follow the bass throughout the entirety of the song, um, even though it's kind of buried in a little, you know, it's like filling in kind of all the rest of the spaces that the other musicians aren't playing or aren't the, all the notes and all the other frequencies that aren't being hit. Um, but I got it. I found it, and I, I know. I now know that I can. Um, I can get back to it, and I can hear it even when there's other voices and other sounds and other things happening around me. I can. I know what it sounds like. I know what it feels like, and I know how to put myself, at least internally, in a place that I can hear it. Um, so, after I, I realized that. I started feeling some tension because I was still doing things kind of by myself. Um, but I really wanted to start 
stepping back into um, the larger literary conversation, like the larger artistic conversation. I wanted to, to start talking and being with other artists and other writers and other just creative people because my like my hermitage, my reclusiveness what, did what it needed to do when I was ready to, to re-engage. And I was thinking of a bunch of different things that I could do to try to re-engage. Um, one of them being like the press, which I'm glad that I've continued and there are a lot of writers that I would really, really love to work with. And I've actually st I've made a list. Um, so any of the writers out there right now that are my friends that live in Baltimore um, and some of my friends that don't live in Baltimore, Shannon, I'm talking about you. Um, if... I may have talked to you too, with you about this. I may not have, but if you're my friend and you write, odds are you're on that list at some point later on in the queue. Um, I was also thrown around the idea of starting my own um, literary journal, probably haiku-themed or haiku-centric, um, which I will probably still do. I'm actually headed, headed to Haiku North America um, on October 14th. And I have a whole slew of questions to ask some of the editors of the other, re of other really well-known haiku journals, um, you know, just to pick their brain and see if what I want to do is a viable thing. Um, so, one is a definite the press. One's a possibility the literary journal. Um, but I really kind of wanted like a one-on-one -on -one or a more um, personally engaging form of of reconnection because I am all about like one-on-one -on -one conversations with people I am about as introverted as you can get um, every time I've taken the, the Myers-Briggs test Briggs-Myers test however it is however it's hyphenated um, for those that this is important to you I always wind up INFP every single time I've taken it all the different varieties of the test I am always INFP um, so I really kind of thrive on one-on-one -on -one intellectually deep and kind of emotionally intimate conversations with people, um, which at first I was thinking of, or at first that kind of manifested in me thinking about making a YouTube channel where I talk about poetry, um, like different forms of it, different styles, maybe talk about some poems, um, I have some particular thoughts about the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock, which I might share at the end of this episode or in in later episodes. Um, but then I realized that I do not have the uh, video editing skills that would probably be necessary for me to start my own YouTube channel. Um, I also have kind of a crappy webcam and not a whole lot of good lighting anywhere in my apartment. So that was kind of scrapped. Um, but I was still trying to think of something that I could do that I could engage with people and reach kind of a large audience. Because, um, I mean, let's be real. A haiku journal, there's a very small portion of the population that will probably actually legitimately be interested in that. Um, so I, um, as a day job, as one of my day jobs, I make cabinets. Um, and at the shop, we normally have NPR on all day, which has been fantastic. It's fantastic because um, I feel like I've never been more as informed as I am now about just kind of stuff going on in the world. 
Um, but it's also been fantastic because I get to listen to Diane Rehm and Terry Gross on a daily, daily basis. And after listening to them for almost a year, and I don't know if this is egotistical of me or not, but I started thinking like, I could, I could probably do that. Maybe. I mean, not talk to, um, you know, quote unquote famous people. Um, but like talk to people about stuff. Um, I mean, I like talking with people. I generally, the people enjoy talking with me. Um, I, this, I also realized that this would be a great way for me to have an intellectually engaging and kind of emotionally intimate conversation with somebody kind of right off the bat about stuff. It usually takes me a little bit to actually kind of work my way into that, into that circle. Um, so I started doing research on podcasts. Um, I bought a microphone after a, a couple of failed attempts on trying to buy one off of Craigslist. Um, I've actually, the last handful of songs on my SoundCloud page have been recorded with the microphone that I'm using right now. Um, but I mean, I realized that after doing some research, some preliminary research on podcasts that like I have GarageBand, I was gonna get a microphone I have a decent internet connection. I have a SoundCloud that I recently um, paid. Like I'm a I'm a pro member, premier member. I don't know whatever it is that like I can upload unlimited amounts of of audio files on there, um, which is great for podcasts because I think I had maybe like less than an hour left um, when I first started thinking about hosting my podcast on my SoundCloud and if this episode's any indication of what these are going to be like, I was going to run out of that amount of space real quick. Um, yeah. Plus, I mean, carting around a microphone and a laptop's pretty easy compared to, um, I don't know, knowing how to edit media stuff. Cause I have, I've never done that. Which is also one of the reasons why I've decided to um, make this as kind of live, unscripted, just going forward as possible because I don't know a whole lot about audio editing. And at this point in my life, there's a lot of other things that are vying for my attention and I don't really have the time to learn. Um, that might change if this becomes more popular. I don't know. I kind of, I don't know. I kind of like the setup. Um, I keep keep getting images of like old um, or new. I mean, that two people are still around doing this, but like guys sitting um, in their rooms or their basements um, or you know on their roofs with their with their CB radios and just kind of talking out into the ether. Um, I've always kind of I've always had the daydream of being a um, college radio DJ too. So this is kind of fulfilling that that particular dream um yeah so anyway um this is my attempt to um i don't know to like reconnect with people or connect with people for the first time to like get back into uh the larger conversation about the arts and the placement of the arts and their, their job or what their responsibility is and hopefully I actually have something worthwhile to say because I I hate you know like 
going covering the same ground. Um, whenever I am feel like I'm in a rut or I'm stagnant or I'm going in circles and not progressing, it's really, really maddening for me. Um, so hopefully this um, this podcast will actually be able to, um, I don't know, present something new and at least, if not new, worthwhile, hopefully. Um, uh, I guess I can go into kind of my poetic developments. Um, although, let me, I will say this first. Um, I relate to poetry, and I see poetry, and I use poetry in a very, very specific way. Um, it's just kind of how it's happened for me. It's how my development has been. Um, I think that there are a ton of different ways, possibly infinite different, infinite number of different ways that you can approach poetry and kind of art, like the large capital A art umbrella as in general. Um, but for me, poetry is, sorry, I was trying to find my roommate's cat and she's currently sitting on my backpack. Um, anyway, uh, to me, poetry is, um, emotional transference or like emotional experiential transference. Like the, the poet feels something or experiences something and they write the poem with the the hope or the intention that the reader will be able to kind of feel or at least experience something similar that you can gain some sort of empathy or some sort of um i don't know like sympathetic insight um empathetic insight maybe but you know bottom line for me it's like that's I see our, I see poetry, at least my own poetry, as as a means to communicate or means to try to connect somewhere. Um, I see music very similarly. Um, I actually think that the reason that I write poetry is because it's the closest that you can, at least for me, I think that it's the closest I can get to, um, like the work that music does, but using words. Because um, I see a music, I in music and I approach music and I kind of write music as um, direct emotional transference. It's like I feel something and then I write something that is kind of the essence or the distillation of whatever that feeling is and like to present it out to somebody so that they can, if they need to feel that or if they, um, I mean, I, I use music a lot to emote through. Um, so if I'm feeling sad or depressed or angry the few t the rare times that I'm feeling angry I'll try to find a song that matches whatever emotional state that I'm in so that I can kind of create the space for myself to allow that emotion to kind of pass through me um, and that's kind of one of the reasons that I write that in the in the events that somebody needs some music like that um, or needs that space to be created for them they can go somewhere and I've been seeing my poetry more and more in a, in that type of a way, um, that it's it's a, it's something to create space for people that they can allow themselves to be in for a bit to kind of get whatever it is that they need to get out of them out of them or allow whatever it needs that they need to come into them to come into them. Um, and I really have been influenced a lot of like the way that haiku operate that. Um, the the best the best 
definition or description of how haiku work. Um, I think it was in the haiku handbook by oh John Higginson. I mean, I also don't want to get that one wrong. William Higginson, William J. Higginson. Um, but anyway, he said in his book, he, he wrote that um, essentially when when a haiku poet is writing a haiku, or the, the impetus to write a haiku is, I've experienced something that has given me an insight or changed me in either a subtle or profound way, but has changed me. And it would be impossible to describe what I, what I felt as a result, like the, the thing that it made me feel. But I can do my best to present you that the moment or the... Um, the, the quintessential essence of whatever it was, whatever that experience was, in the hope that when you read it, you will be able to, you will be able to get yourself into the place of feeling the same thing too. Um, and one of the things that makes haiku so effective at that is a lot of the implicate, like they impl implicate, they, it's, they're super subjective. There's a whole lot of mystery and implying and not a whole lot of telling you what things actually are. So there's a lot of room for you as the reader to kind of overlay your own experiences onto whatever it is that you read. Um, so if you're reading a, a haiku like Basho's um, The Old Pond, Frog Jumps In, Water Sound. Everyone, I think, who reads that will wind up in the same general, bar, general ballpark of some sort of feeling. Um, but based upon your own specific experiences, um, you might be somewhere on the edge of the ballpark or somewhere in the middle of the ballpark. Or... So the grudge band <laughs> got out in my recording, so I'll try to remember that for next time. Um, but anyway, with the whole ballpark image, um, when you when you read a haiku, at least a haiku, um, the your job as a reader is to kind of fill in and fill out the rest of it because you're really just getting the bare bones of, or the, the essential kind of moment. Um, so I view it as kind of like um, like a weird sideways hourglass so that it, the thing that the poem the poet experiences is the, the big open end and then it narrows down to the actual poem and then the poem will expand out again once the reader reads it and they can kind of fill out the world for themselves. Um, and I've also heard that a haiku is only half completed until it's read, which I think is a, I mean, I think for, you know, most art that probably rings true that it's, it necessitates that the, that there's some sort of um, reader or audience completion or some sort of, uh, participatory act that the 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 audience does um yeah so i i view poetry as um like emotional connection or the means to kind of communicate um and i try to to use it as such um so when i said earlier that um you know when it really comes down to it i'm not writing for anybody else it's true and it's kind of not true. It's like I'm writing these things um, and I'm getting this stuff down 
and trying to get it out of me because I know that it needs to go somewhere and it needs to come out. Um, and for some things, that's enough. But I generally would like to see my um, to see my writing help people. Um, you know, at least like to create spaces for them, like safe places that they can go and deal with stuff. Um, that's kind of my view on like where what my stance is with poetry, and I'm sure that as this podcast continues, I, things will be more extrapolated upon. Um, but let's see. Um, I guess a relatively brief brief history of my uh, poetic development. Um, I started writing back in like fourth or fifth grade, I think. The first thing that I can remember writing um, was lyrics to a probably pop punk or, you know, new wave punk song about neighbors who dug up um, my parents' bushes on the side of their yard. I don't know why I decided to write this, but I mean, I was out there one day and you know, after they'd been dug up and I got kind of irate or irked about it and I wrote this thing. Um, the song in and of itself was, I think, embarrassing, at least embarrassing to me. Um, and after that, I wrote a couple more lyrics. Um, so I guess that was like the, my first foray into actually writing stuff. But um, the first poetry stuff that I wrote was in like seventh or eighth grade there are a couple of um creative options for some projects that i had in in grade school that i opted to write poetry and it seemed to go over pretty well so um i just kind of continued with it in high school i wrote some stuff again kind of creative options um, i did my own version of the rhyme of the ancient mariner but about um kind of like a christian maybe like pilgrim's progress type of a thing um, at this point, I really wasn't reading poetry. Most of my influence came from the lyrics of bands that I really liked, um, which is weird that music has always kind of, music was the, the first um, art that I, or the first creative endeavor that I pursued. I, I, was, I learned, I started playing banjo uh, maybe, right, maybe around the, right around the time that I, I wrote those first couple of songs, lyrics uh, of the songs. Um, so music has always kind of been underground with all of my writing. I, I started out college as a music major, but I, I had to jump ship because the university was just like crushing my creativity. Um, but yeah, so throughout high school, I wrote stuff. Um, I reading those poems again is kind of embarrassing, just because I like they weren't. I mean, it was you know like young people's writing. I was new to it. I didn't really give the my craft and my like that passion the time that it deserved to really develop into so I could really hone it. Um I was also um at least after eh, maybe like the beginning of high school, um I was uh pretty devoutly Christian, so most of my writing involved God in some way. Um, so that's one of the things that's super difficult for me to, to deal with. Or to, to, it's one of the reasons it's difficult for me to go back and read some of my old writing, because it's like, I don't really believe any of that stuff anymore. Um, and 
I think that a lot of my writing, or a lot of the, the reason that people maybe thought my writing was good um, is because, one, they were Christian, and two, a lot of my, my poetry had to deal with, dealt with God and Christianity and stuff like that. So, I don't know. There was not a whole lot of really objective critiques that I got on it, um, although that that's mostly conjecture. I honestly don't know. Um, uh, I was actually, but I, so from 2001-ish to around 2008 or 9, um, I was very devoutly Christian. And some stuff, I kind of went through some things and eventually really significantly moved away from it. I, it was a little little movements and little nudges at first, and then some at the end, some kind of like two or three big things that I was like, I just, I can't. I cannot authentically believe this anymore. Um, but I was super, super afraid for my writing because up until that point, I viewed it as kind of a God-given gift and that he, you know, at my thinking at the time was that God was the source of, of this talent and this, this my writing. Um, so when I decided to leave Christianity, there was a period of a couple of months that I didn't write and I was afraid that it wasn't going to come back and then there was one there was one evening I was sitting on the porch of my apartment in my first apartment in Lafayette or the, the balcony of it and I heard an air conditioner kick on and for whatever reason like the words started flowing again and I was relieved and kind of thrilled that you know this this that my writing wasn't um wasn't something bestowed to me from something outside of myself, that this was actually a part of me, that this is something that, that was in me and was of me and was me. Um, it was super reassuring, and I, it was a, a moment of, I guess, kind of reclaiming a little bit of myself from things that I let get in the way of that. Um, so in, in college, you know, I wrote, I was a creative writing um like finishing up college, I, you know, was concentrated in creative writing, um, and when I was finished, I saw in my writing. Well, I saw that my writing was not where I wanted it to be. I could, I, if you're looking at kind of like a mountain, I, it was plateauing. Super bad, and I didn't think that I could get to the next stage or the next level or that next, you know, that next plateau. Um, on my own. So I started looking for grad schools and of the, I think like five or six that I applied to, three responded to me. Two said no, one said yes. So summer of 2011, I packed up my stuff and drove to Baltimore because UB was the only school that accepted me. And um, I am super unbelievably grateful to Kendra Kapalke, who is the the head of the MFA program at UB for like seeing something worthwhile and something that this I guess potential if for if lack of anything else in my writing because I've gone back and read my um, my application and my submissions to the the program and it's it's rough stuff um, like I I really didn't understand um my relationship with editing and revision until maybe two-thirds of the way through grad school. But 
that Kendra saw something in it. And I'm unbelievably grateful that she did because like moving to Baltimore has been one of the, the best things that's happened to me in the last, I don't know, like five, ten years. Um, so much of my of my poetic development happened as a direct result of being at UB. Um, so yeah, so um, you know, once I, maybe like halfway through undergrad, I actually started reading poetry, and yeah, I found Jane. I mean, um, Mary Oliver, a couple of other poets, but. At UB, I discovered so many more, like Jane Kenyon and um, Edward Hirsch and um, Gary Young and Co-Oon and Ann Carson. And it was really wonderful to be exposed to so much, um, I, you know, kind of like a throwing spaghetti at the wall sort of a thing. It's just, you just you're exposed and you are presented with so many different things. And it's just you just got to see what sticks and what pops out to you. And then once you know the things that pop out to you, that your job is to figure out why. Um, so that's been kind of what, that has that is what I've been kind of working on for the last while. Um, after writing my thesis and creating the book for it, I, I handmade 20, no, 60, I don't know why I said 20, handmade 68 copies of my thesis, um, which was a incredibly rewarding and just very draining process. Um, I didn't write for a while. Um, I just I think that I really just wrung myself out and I needed to give myself time to kind of rebound from that. And I have pretty significantly. I have a lot of poems that I really haven't done anything with. Um, but yeah. I don't know. I that was a little more succinct than I I think that I wanted or I was thinking that it would be. Um, like I said, there have been some some massive shifts. Um, haiku has been probably one of the most significant ones. Um, I don't think that my, I mean, I know for sure that my poetry wouldn't be where it is, and I wouldn't be where I am as a as a poet if it, if I hadn't discovered haiku when I did. Um, I think Jane Cooper is going to be a pre pretty significant um, force in my writing because she, at least in one of the, the books that I, I picked up of hers, actually at a friend's apartment, it was in a they were going to give it away for free, and I was like, "Ooh, I, poetry, I'll take it, whatever." Um, I hoard books, especially poetry books. There's an there's another shelf in my um, my in my on my bookshelves that is pretty much poetry books that I've have either not read yet or have only read once. Um, but yeah, I, I picked it up and I kind of thumb and started thumbing through it and it feels like she is writing the way that I kind of write and she's knitting together some of the things that I've been trying to knit together. Um, so as a, as a kind of road sign, it'll be really interesting to see um, like how how she developed over time and what else she was getting into and how her writing changed um, to maybe see, you know, catch some glimpses of where I'm going to be going in the future. Um, 
Is there any other questions I can answer real quick? Um, oh, um, writing process. Sorry, I um, actually had to do a little bit of editing because my computer freaked out a little bit. Anyway, um, a great deal of my thought process happens, I think, on an unconscious or at least subconscious level. Um, it's really, really quiet in my head most of the given time. There's not really a whole lot of, of stuff moving around in there. It's super spacious, super quiet. But I think that underneath that conscious level of, of quietness, there's gears and things that are whirring through the darkness. Um, I actually have some thoughts of how that relates to intuition, which I will not get into on this podcast because it's not the point, although it might pop up at a later episode. Anyway, it stuff kind of whirs through someplace that I don't really feel like I have conscious access to. Um, and a lot of my writing happens like that, too. I will, there'll be something that I'll think about or some sort of, um, I don't know, like a line or two of a poem that will pop in my head. And then it'll just kind of gestate for maybe a couple of days, maybe a week. And then I will get kind of the, maybe the silhouette or the the rough raw material of this, what this poem will be will pop into my head. And it's up to me to kind of like chisel away at it. Um, so that happens to me a, a, like all, all the time. Um, I'm actually kind of curious to see like when, like how long it takes certain poems to, to just kind of like tumble, like the, um, like gemstone polisher, the tumble stuff for, you know, that just kind of rolls around in there until it gets all nice and shiny. Like how long each one takes to, for that to happen until I actually kind of pop out of my head and I can, I can write it. Um, music happens to me very, very differently. I usually will just like sit down unless I'm feeling something super major and I have to get it out through a song. I'll just usually sit that, sit with a, with a guitar or something in my lap and just kind of noodle around until something sounds good. Um, so I don't, I mean, I don't know why poetry sometimes happens differently. I mean, there are some times that if I'm feeling something super strong, um, I'll write it out. There's actually a poem I wrote, oh, I don't know, maybe two or three days ago about um, the fact that my roommate is gone for like half the week and she spends um, time with her with her boyfriend. And I don't know, for that, for that one day, just kind of like I was thinking about it and it kind of made me a little sad and I wrote just a little tiny poem about it, um, which will probably go through some significant edits. Um, but so sometimes they kind of happen on the spot. Haiku are a lot of happening on the spot because um, that's kind of the nature of haiku. Um, you know, you're not supposed to, well, I mean, not to say you're not supposed to, but generally like there are things that you, you capture in the moment that they happen. Not a whole lot of reflection upon after the fact. That kind of nudges haiku out of traditionally what, what kind of the role that they play and kind of how they operate. Um, but um, as far as revision and stuff, uh, I like I said before, I really didn't understand revision until maybe two-thirds of my way through grad school. And it is now one of my absolute best friends. Um, up until that point, I 
I mean, I've always kind of done a lot of revision in process. Um, if I'm working on like an article or an essay or I mean, even a poem, um, I will usually, I'll sometimes get stuck on a word or a line and I can't progress past that until I figure out how to say whatever it is for that one little bit. If I can, if I can say that, then the rest of the things will start linking up for a bit until I hit another snag and I have to kind of just wait for it to, to process in my head. But, um, usually with like essays and articles and stuff, I will, if I'm not feeling something, I will just hide, like, you know, double click, um, select a, a paragraph or a section of it and just delete it and just try again. With poems, I'm a little less likely to do that. Um, instead of just deleting them, I will probably just re start rewriting it or start writing it again to try to um, hone in and actually hit whatever it was that I was trying to say. Um, sometimes with poetry, I will get stuck on a line or a word. Um, other times I know that there's a word or something that's missing and I have to keep going so I can continue the thread of the poem in my head, depending upon if it's something that's been, if it's been gestating for a while, um, I find, I find that I can get stuck on a word or getting stuck on a word happens more often if it's been gestating for a while, because I know that the rest of the poem is in my head somewhere. And it's just, I have to figure out whatever, like unlock that one particular gate and find that word. And then the rest of it will, will flow out pretty smoothly. If I'm writing a poem uh, in the process and it's kind of happening, I'm writing it as I think of it, I will usually pass up kind of a word or two and just kind of continue with the poem because I don't want to lose the thread of it, which happens to me a lot. Like the, um, the intros that I had that I thought about in the showers, showers past the last couple of days, that... I'm like over the weekend, I had a I had a perfect one. It would have been seamless introduction and way into, um, into the the intro of the podcast, and I totally forgot what it was, and I had to just kind of <laughs> bumble my way through it tonight. Um, yeah, but um, I don't know. I go through periods where I I will write a whole lot, and then I won't write for a while, and then I'll write a whole lot. Um, I usually, I tend to work in like groupings of poems. I'm not entirely sure why. Um, I will sometimes get like a single poem or two, but um, they usually come out as like chapbooks. Um, and I've, I feel, I would feel more comfortable submitting like a chapbook of stuff to a competition instead of um, like a single poem to a magazine because um, I don't know, a lot of times that they're not written in isolation. They're written kind of with themes or with stuff in common with other other poems that I'm writing. And um, I feel like it's, I mean, I guess it's like it's the, the, the bookmaker in me or the book artist in me that the, the presentation matters a whole lot to me of, of how you experience these the poems and the order that you experience them and what the totality of them, um, like what that does to your reading and your understanding of them and how that, how that affects you. Um, cause I, I know a lot of people who will read poetry book, like poetry collections, kind of hinpecking through it. We'll start, you know, in the beginning and then read a couple of poems in the middle and jump to the end, jump back to the beginning, or they'll just kind of, you know, flip around. Um, 
I will usually read poem poetry collections start to finish. Um, because I, I don't know, I feel like there's like they're put in a particular order for an intention. Um, and I want to get what that intention is. And then once I read it through, maybe once or twice, um, front to back, then I might hint peck because I know that there are some poems in there that have read poems that will resonate with me more than other ones will. Um, and if I'm just looking for that, whatever feeling or whatever that poem has in particular, then I can find it out. Um, I also will read poetry collections back to front. Um, I feel like, for whatever reason, I can see the the order and the construction and like how they're laid out easier when I'm reading them when I start at the end and work back towards the beginning, which really helped me out when I was laying out um, or when I was ordering my own um, my thesis and some of the the subsequent manuscripts that I've I've noodled around with. Um, like whenever, if I'm ever in that mode, I'll pick up like a poetry collection and start at the back and read, you know, backwards just to see how they're, um, like how they're moving. And I don't know, I guess it's because if I, maybe it's because I, if, when I know where they end, it's easier for me to see how they got there. I mean, I, I spoil a lot of books and movies and stuff, um, for myself, um, which might be the same reason it's like i just i want to, to know where they end up so that when i'm going through the process i can it's i can see easier how they get from point a to point b or you know point a through all the sub points and then ultimately to, to like z or i don't know some number or something um um Man, I'm glad that this is the first episode because my apparently GarageBand doesn't like to um, continue to record after like 40-something minutes, which is good to know. I might have to break up my podcast a little bit. But anyway, um, let's see. Any other questions? Um, eh, I might answer one or two more and then leave it at that. Um, I am personally not a fan of poems that rhyme. This is kind of just a random thing that I'm throwing out. Um, primarily because most of the poems that I've read that rhyme, the rhymes are fairly predictable. And when I notice the rhyme, I can't not notice them. And I can feel myself stop. Like, I am I stop reading the poem for what it is. And I start reading to, to see what the next rhyme is. And it really takes me out of the experience of reading the poem. I have read some poems that the rhyme is done very, very well. doesn't really bother me. Um, I feel similarly about songs that rhyme, which make a little more sense kind of in like tra the tradition of like oral uh, storytelling and troubadours and all that stuff that's like things that rhyme are easier to remember for both the orator and the audience. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It just it it feels too like crafty. Too much of the the artifice or the art is showing instead of it just being, um, you know, just the the an expression or an an experience, um, which is like that thinking or that the way of seeing rhyming poetry is I know very very heavily influenced by how I view 
poetry or at least how I view the poetry that I write. Um, because somebody's intent might not, like Dr. Seuss stuff, the intent really isn't to, um, to share an experience or an emotion. Um, it's, you know, to, to tell kind of a story in a way that's, that's memorable. Um, but I don't know. Also, I think so. As I mentioned before, I have some thoughts on the love song of J. Alfred Proofrock. Um, and this might be the last thing for tonight because my computer is getting real, uh, real jerky <laughs> with the recording. Um, I think that the poem should end, uh, I think, like a stanza or two before. Hold on, let me bring it up. And this, ever since the first time that I read it, it has supremely bothered me um, that, that Elliot goes on. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, so I don't think... I think that the last stanza of the love song of J. Alfred Proofrock is superfluous. Um... Because I'm looking at it right now, um, and I think that ending on, I do not think they will sing to me. Actually, I'll, I'll read up to it. Um, and hopefully this will set a precedent for um, the podcast, because I, I want people to, to read poems or talk about poems that they like and they don't like. Um, if, if my garage band decides to, be, to behave, I'll read a poem that I really, really do like. Um, but anyway, so... The last three stanzas um, before the possible superfluous last stanza of the love song of J. Alpha Proofrock goes as thus. I grow old. I grow old. I shall wear the bottoms of my trousers rolled. Shall I part my hair behind? Do I dare to eat a peach? I shall wear white flannel trousers and walk upon the beach. I have heard the mermaids singing each to each. I do not think they will sing to me. And then he goes on. I have seen them riding seaward on the waves, combing the white hair of the waves blown back when the wind blows the water white and black. We have lingered in the chambers of the sea by sea girls wreathed in seaweed red and brown till human voices wake us and we drown. I don't think he, you need that stanza. I think that the ending on the image of standing on the sea or standing on the beach and hearing the mermaids singing and realizing that or thinking that they won't sing to to you, you being the I, the speaker of the poem, um, is a much more evocative and a much more implying ending. Like it, it that line for me op leaves the the poem in a very open space. And the last, the actual last stanza really closes it off and kind of ties it together. Um, there's a like a weird rhythm and some like repetition of words that I don't think are necessary. Um, I don't know. I I don't know. It's it's personal opinion. It's always been kind of my personal my opinion of ever since the first time I read that. It's like I, you don't end it. Just go off on a high note. Um, as opposed to one of my all-time favorite, favorite poems by Mary Oliver, 
Um, the name of the poem is Orion. It is in her collection Dreamwork. Um, and if I can bring it up, I will read it for you. Yep, so this is Orion by Mary Oliver. I love Orion, his fiery body, his ten stars, his flaring points of reference, his shining dogs. It is, it is winter, he says. We must eat, he says, our gloomy and passionate teacher. Miles below, in the cold woods, with the mouse and the owl, with the clearness of water sheeted and hidden, with the reason for the wind forever a secret, he descends and sits with me, his voice like the snapping of bone. Behind him, everything is so black and unclassical. Behind him, I don't know anything, not even my own mind. That is a goddamn poem. I love, I love, I want to be Mary Oliver when I grow up. Um, like, literally, I want to be Mary Oliver when I grow up. Um, so, this thing has been running for about an hour and 17 minutes with all the hiccups. Um, I will do my best to clean them up, um, which might make me saying that I'll do my best to clean them up superfluous because you might not, <laughs> you might not hear any. Um, but, yeah, this is, I guess this is the first episode. Um I will think of a better way to um, to sign off in the future. I'm also going to try to come up with maybe a theme song and a logo to throw up in the SoundCloud little album display area. But um, thank you for listening. Um, for those of you who stuck with me for almost an hour and 20 minutes, um, for those of you who didn't, I will do my best to make them a little bit shorter. If not for the sake of my garage band recordings, then just for people who are listening to stuff. Um, I'm I'm really excited, guys. Um, I don't really know what's going to happen with this. I don't know where I'm going to go, but I mean, I it's fun. <laughs> this is fun. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna officially go before my computer blows up. But again, thank you for listening. Um, I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that uh, these things will be edifying for you, at least enjoyable, and maybe hopefully some good entertainment. Um, I'll do my best to bring on as many varied and um, different voices that I can and different opinions, And because I, I, I don't know. I like talking with people who think differently than I do because it makes me think differently than I do, and that's good. Um, too much habit can be a really bad thing, especially with writing, very much with thinking. Um, you know, I think any any art needs some some blasts of fresh air, which I you know like spring cleaning. Open up the windows, let a breeze blow through, and see you know what shuffles the papers. So, um, until next time. Oh, on that note. Um, <laughs> This will be it, I promise. Um, I'm going to try my absolute best to post these twice a month. Um, that way I'll be able to talk to like 24, no, yes, 24 people a year instead of just 12. Um, 
one episode will be up in the beginning of the month. The other one will be up towards the end of the month. Um, I know that I'm cutting it very, very close with this one. Um, the September episode should be up. I, I don't know. I don't really have a hard and fast time yet. Um, I'm hoping that my first two guests will be Anthony Mall and Tracy Diamond. I talked to Tracy about it kind of a little bit. Um, she's excited. I'm excited. I've talked to Anthony about it a little bit. He's excited. I'm still excited. Um, he just started um, school again, so it might be tough to schedule things with him. But I, like I said, I'll do my best to keep this a kind of a regular scheduled thing because um, I think it'll be good for all of us, especially me, to have some regimented stuff and actually keep me on my toes with doing this and not get lazy and or sloppy. Um, so, yes, for real this time. Thank you for listening, and I will see you all next time.